In this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, I'm joined by my friend, iconic songwriter Kipper Jones. Uh, we start off the episode by talking about his upbringing in Flint, Michigan, and eventually going out to Los Angeles, California. We talk about the fact that making great as well as iconic songs is truly about being collaborative. Uh, Kipper stresses the importance of building and having a great team and being able to always know what's going on in your music business and signing your own check. Kemper talks about going to high school with Wilton Felder and Wayne Henderson from the Crusaders and eventually getting the opportunity to audition for Tammy Ellis' mother, Marilyn McLeod, who was a part of a very successful songwriter team with Pam Sawyer. Kemper then landed his first professional gig as a demo singer working for Motown Records. Uh, Kemper and I talk about li- the, the life and passing of DMX and the fact that he was truly an iconic artist who impacted so many, so many even though he definitely had his demons. We speak about creating art and how that translates into emotion, how to impact so many people. Kipper and I talk about the gener- that this generation has its own thing and that it doesn't do anybody any good to be a hater. Kipper also says there'll be a time when what the young people are doing today will become old. I share with Kipper that he deserves to have his flowers because of the power of the iconic song that he's written during his career. Kipper is passionate about having a powerful product because nothing else matters. Even the song is, if the song isn't impactful because other than that, you're wasting your time. Kipper and I discussed the vast and eclectic type of artists that he's worked with over his career, like Darius Rucker, formerly of Hootie and the Blowfish, and the fact that he absolutely loves country music. He shares that there's something special about the stories that are told in country music and that he's ready to offer something to the genre. Kipper and I talk about how black people are trendsetters in mostly every music genre and that people love black culture except for when the police officers come. Kipper shares how he got signed as the first black artist to Virgin Music and he released his one and only major label release in 1990 entitled, entitled Ordinary Story. His album got many great reviews from publications like the USA Today and LA Times Kipper talks about even though he had all these departments within the label, if they are not working together, it's easy to get caught up in major label and end fighting. Kipper felt his album ultimately didn't receive the marketing and promotion it deserved. Kipper talks about how he got the opportunity to write and produce for Vanessa Williams. He wrote a couple songs called Comfort Zone, which became the title track, the title track for her album, and Freedom Dance, which became a huge anthem for the LGBT community. Vanessa's album, The Comfort Zone, went on to be double platinum. He then began working with Keith Crouch for what he thought would be Vanessa's third album and ultimately came up with a great groove that became I Want to Be Down, which the A&R East West Records wanted to demo the song on a 14-year-old teen named Brandy. He also wrote two of her other hit singles, Baby and Broken Hearted. He also talks about her mother Sonia Norwood, why her mother Sonia Norwood was so protective of Brandy and making sure she kept her innocence for as long as possible. Uh, Kipper and I end the episode by talking about the educational element that he brings through a series of seminars and workshops he put together called The Power of a Great Song, A Songwriter's Life, Soul in the Sanctuary, and The Arbiters. Kipper also shares why after such a long and successful career, uh, he decided to attend Berkeley College to get his degree so he could continue to give back to the next generation as an educator. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode.
Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast, and this is episode 15, and we have got my great friend, Mr. Kipper Jones with us today. This is so awesome because Kipper is a friend of mine and was, is instrumental in some of the songs that I grew up loving, and obviously didn't, they back then didn't know who wrote them, but to know now that we have a relationship is it's just so amazing to to know that. So, Kipper, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing well. You know, not not bad for an old man. I'm holding <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, I think um, the first time I ever saw you was at Terry Bellows Conference, oh, which wow. is the International Soul Music Summit. I saw yeah. you in the hallway. You didn't know who I was. <laughs> but uh, this has had to be around 2009, 10-ish. 2009, yeah. Yeah, yeah. around that time. Yeah. Right. You know, shout out to Terry Bello. That's my big bro. And yeah, man, uh, yeah. and then what he's what he did with that Soul Summit, you know, hopefully he he's talking about bringing it back. Um, though he's, he's had, you know, he had, you know, he was sick and he had some a rough couple of years there, but Not he's picked things yeah, he's picking things back up. So he's he's definitely considering bringing it back um, and doing yeah, it totally different this time. That was uh, that was early in the DIY model. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, you had artists like uh, Cy Smith and right. Roberson, right, who were also early in the DIY adventure. Um, but it's, I mean, we're talking twelve years ago. Right. Okay, you imagine that was that long ago. Right. But um, in the last twelve years, there's been a revolution of uh, technology and um, you know just the wherewithal to be able to be a DIY artist. Right. And so, um, for for I think if Terry were to to resurrect that that so, uh, International Soul Music Summit at this point, it could be huge. Right. You know, I think it could really, really, really be big. Well, let me, let me not leave out Joy too, because Joy was doing her thing. And matter of fact, she and I did a couple of panels that year. Yeah. Uh, you know, for International Soul Music Summit. But yeah, yeah, I think that would be great, man. Terry Bello, if you are watching, bro, we wait on you. <laughs> yeah, Terry, man, Terry is Terry's a no nonsense type of guy, man. And 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 what I love about him, and he's he's been instrumental in a lot of people. You know, he he tells me a story about how he was one of the first people to to you know, recognize PJ Morton on a, on a, on a, mm. on a space, you know, early on in his independent career. And, and mm. he always tells me the story about when he told uh, John Stevens, who goes by the name of now John legend, that his music sucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, back then, and you know, and he, all these types of stories that Terry has and who he knows in the industry, man, who, who has been instrumentally behind. It's been amazing. So, so I when love that. Radio, radio is a whole different movie. When you work in radio, yeah. especially as long as Terry's been in radio. Yeah, yeah. But you get to meet and come in contact with some of everyone, uh, yes. you know, especially if you work for the major, you know, and, and which he's been, you know, all over the board. Right. So, yeah, man. And again, he knows you must foster your relationships. He, he understands that piece about relationships being key in this business and this business is based around relationships. I didn't know Terry 10 minutes 
before we were, hey man, I'm doing this uh, conference and I want you to host this panel and I want you to do this and I want you to do I'm like, whatever. Right. Because <laughs> the drive, man, he's, you know, yeah. he's all about, it, you know, and I, and I so appreciate him for that. Yeah. So that was, that was I, the first. Been, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was the first no, time. All before he was contacting me about doing stuff like that, you know, and I was like, man, I, that's another reason why I fell in love with this town. You know, it was, right. just, it was working me like that. Yeah. Awesome. 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 So, um, so you originally born in Flint, Michigan, but uh, grew up in LA, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. My, my mother, my mother from Flint, Michigan, my mother. Um, and what happened was she, uh, migrated west with her aunt and her grandmother when she was, I want to say about 14 or so. And uh, in her senior year of high school, she got pregnant with me. Uh. And her aunt, her aunt and her grandmother sent her back to Michigan because they were like, no, you too fast. You can't be out here. And oh. so they sent her, sent her back to Michigan to her mother who, um, and then she had me while she was in Michigan. But then my dad went to Michigan, married her, and moved her back to L.A. Ah. So I was only in Michigan for like nine months. Oh, yeah. And then, then, though, my parents divorced at 10. And then my my mom wanted to finish her, her degree studies. So she, once again, went back to Michigan, took us back to Michigan, where I spent fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. She got her degree from University of Michigan, and then we went back to California, and that's where we were for the rest of my um, my life until I, you know, grew up and left. <laughs> right. Interesting. Yeah. And that, it, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. See, I didn't know that part. About I didn't know that. Yeah. Part. So there was a little. There was a little back and forth for a minute. Um, gotcha. And 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 but but it was it was very influential musically for me because. Um, I don't know. It was something. I, it's hard to say now, but there was something in the water, um, right, right? Because there was some crazy talent in Michigan. I mean, I, I went to a church called New Jerusalem uh, Missionary Baptist Church uh, with Pastor Otis Floyd, Reverend Otis Floyd, who was just the blues singing his soulful singing cat ever. And my mother says I would just sit under him and be just like, oh, you know, because he was right. just like a superstar to me. And, and wow. we had this uh, a musician named Je- Jeffrey LaValle, who uh, uh, is just an incredible musician. And to this day, he's written some some gospel standard stuff and all that. But when I met him, he was just a 17-year-old kid from Milwaukee who had just come to Flint to play at this church. Right. And now he's pretty much a legend. As a matter of fact, uh, Kanye West used one of Jeffrey's songs on this Jesus is King album. Oh, okay. They just didn't get, they got a Grammy for it, right? I, I think. think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. they won a Grammy. Um, and I, I, when I found that out, I, I called Jeffrey. When I found out his song was on the album, I was like, oh, boy, you better clear some mantle space because you're about to get a trophy, boy. Right. He was like, what are you talking about? Now he knows. And he was like, you told me this was going to happen. And, <laughs> like, and yeah. one thing about Kanye, he makes sure about people get what they need to get. I've heard that religiously about him. Like he's really, he makes sure you get your publishing. He makes sure he doesn't, that's what I've heard many stories. People that work with him is like Kanye is the type of dude. Like I, if you, even if you contribute a little bit of something to whatever it is you do, he's going to make sure, well, what, what's your, what's your publishing admin info? 
that I need. I, you know, he may, cause he, uh, I guess he understands that music is a collaborative effort a lot of times. And, yeah. and, and we don't think, so we got a lot of people who do DIY stuff these days, but music is an art and a craft and, and, and requires a team to really do it properly. You know? Well, I think, um, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I know that there are people who can do everything right. Okay. Got it. I'm yeah. not one of those people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I understand that people have expertise in different fields. Right. I'm, I'm not a makeup artist. I'm not going to try to do <laughs> makeup for a photo shoot, you yeah. know, or whatever. Right. I mean, I know, I know, like stylistically, I know what I like to wear, and I know yeah. all those kinds of things. Probably do better like being my own stylist, maybe. Right. But I mean, I know, I know my strengths, and I certainly know and acknowledge my weaknesses. Right. Um, which is my strength. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> my weaknesses. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, man. I think you have to. You have to have. Um. You know, especially in terms of the back side of things. You know, you want to have legal advice. You want to have. Uh. You know, someone who knows publicity, uh, publicity and public relations. Right. You know, you want to have those people who are active in those fields. Uh. Like I don't know about presently, but at least somewhat currently, so they kind of know how things are going. Know that right. if. Uh, if you're sending out material to a certain radio station that they like physical product, they want you to send them a CD. Don't send them the email link or the, right. the website link. Right. Um, you know, and those kinds of things. Right. Um, you might not necessarily know that because you're an artist and you, you, you create. Go create. Right. That's right. What you <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, 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 it's wise, man, to uh, have, surround yourself with a team to, to create a team of people. It right. ain't gotta be 12 people. It right. can be three or four people. Right. You know what I mean? But but you if you try to do everything yourself, you're gonna crash and burn at some yeah. point. Yeah, you can't. You can't do everything yeah. yourself. Like you, you know, you wanna yeah. I say this as a business owner, yes, you wanna you wanna know what's going on in every aspect of your business. Absolutely. You know, you have to mm -hmm. know. I mean, you have to know what's going on and but you don't actually have to be the person doing every single thing. You know, absolutely. I just that's just yeah. But you do want to know. You do have to be able to know when you're getting screwed. So you, there's you nothing wrong with overseeing the operation. Right. You know, you should you should certainly do that. Uh, uh, I've heard Oprah Winfrey, Bill Cosby. I've heard many, uh, many black successful uh, you know entertainers and entrepreneurs say, make sure that you sign your own checks. Yes. You sign your checks, not somebody. Oh, well, did did uh, so and so pay you? No, did you sign the check? Right. You better know what's going out. Exactly. Now, you might exactly. not know everything that's coming in because you know you got a lot of revenue streams and all that kind of stuff. But you better know what's going out. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> that, is, that. <laughs> that is so true. That is so mm -hmm. true. So. You know, I, I know from hearing you talk about your background that you had an opportunity to um, be involved in some of the Motown stuff early on, in, you know, in, in your, in your, is that right? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I, uh, my high school was, it wasn't a magnet school. I mean, it, we didn't have that then, but, but my high school was just chock full of all these very talented uh, people and people who were like um, uh, Wilton Felder, 
um, from uh, the, the Crusaders, okay. uh, Wayne, Wayne Henderson from the Crusaders. They all lived in our little hamlet in Carson, California. Okay. And so I went to school with Wilton Jr. and Wayne Jr. Um, and then um, there was this young lady at, at my high school named Tammy Ellison uh, and her mother, <clears throat> excuse me, my mother's name was Marilyn McLeod. And she kept telling me, Kipper, you got to meet my mother. My mother's got to see you. She's got to meet you. Well, you know, I was playing saxophone. I was kind of singing a little bit. I was kind of fly. And I was, I mean, but I was, what, 14, 15? I was 15 at the time, 15 turning right. 16. And she kept saying, you know, my mom's got to meet you. My mom was like, okay, whatever. So her mother finally got tired of her beating her up about it. She said, listen, have, have his mom bring him over. And so they coordinated or whatever, and we went over and I auditioned for her mother, um, who was uh, a very successful songwriter, part of a very successful songwriting team of Marilyn McLeod and Pam Sawyer. They have written, uh, if there's a cure for this, I don't want it, I don't want it, for Diana Ross. Right. Um, Song for Junior Walker and the All Stars, Walk in the Night. Uh, they, were, they were really successful there at Motown, and um, they, uh, after I auditioned for for them, um, they employed me in my first professional gig as a demo singer for their songs for them. You know, they I, they would write the songs, and I'd come in after school and sing them. You know, and then they shopped them around to people like Johnny Mathis and you know, a bunch of other folks like that. But that was my first gig in the business. I was actually a demo singer for a Motown staff writing team. So, which made me basically a Motown demo singer. And so I'm around all of this Motown culture. Right. That's my job. I mean, now I'm part of this legendary at that point machine. And I'm like, how in the, man, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, pray for it, you think about it and it happens. And, you know, and then it's like, okay, so what do you do with it? You know, and I just tried to soak it up as much as I could, you know, learn from all of what was going on around me, you know, right. It was was just an incredible period, but yeah, that's my, that's my Motown pieces. I saw how writing a song, you have to like hone it and make it the best. Ah, that line doesn't work. We can fix that. We can make that better. That's not the strongest chord progression, do this instead, you know, just really honing out and making things the best that they could be. Uh, one thing that I did learn uh, is Mr. Gordy's philosophy of quality control. Right. Um, never let anything go until you feel like you can't make it any better. You know what I mean? You right. did the best vocal, you did the best, you know, whatever it was that, that, that you're working on and it has to be the best. And then he would say, you know, get a room full of people and say, okay, here's that song and uh, here's a sandwich. We want the song, we want the sandwich. I've heard yeah. I've heard that. I've heard many people say he would do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if it's the sandwich, chunk your song, it's done. <laughs> you know, start over back to the drawing board. But but yeah, he I mean just that particular about that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like that quality yeah. control piece. Is important because everything they were they released, I mean, it was just excellent because yes. they, you know, that was the philosophy, right? You know, yeah. operate in a spirit of excellence, and that I learned that early on through that experience, and I'm just very grateful for that. But that's my 
That's my Motown piece, though. Yeah. Thank, God, thank God Mr. Gordy's still around. He's still here. You know, because we've lost man. so many, we've lost so many greats within the last few years, man. Thank God that Quincy's still here. Thank God that Mr. Yeah. Gordy's still here. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. man, we're losing we some. Still got Stevie. Yeah, Stevie's <laughs> here. Thank, I mean, we think about it, right? Because a lot of times, like we've we've been losing so many of our greats. Just you know, people die. We get that people die, but when when people when, when you have these iconic people that we grew up with that are icons, and we lose them, it just doesn't feel right that they're not here anymore. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I, I, I'm trying to become more and more, um, what, I, what is the word, just okay with the, you know, what can you do about it? I mean, people. Yeah, it's going to happen. Every, it's inevitable. Every person born has to, to die. die. Right, exactly. You have to. I mean, you know, now, you know, we can live to be 90 or 100 or whatever. And that's great. But, you, you know, at the end of the, Game, nobody wins. Right, you know, right. We don't get, we don't get out of here alive. <laughs> you know, nobody gets out alive, man. And there's no extra man. You don't get, you know, none of that. Right, right. Over is over. Um, you know, and we may think that you know certain people didn't get enough time, or you know, we talk about Tupac and go, wow, he burned out so fast. I mean, right. you know, and that kind of thing. And it's like, no, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the in the short time that he was here, you know, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, and, you think about just recently, you know, obviously losing DMX and how much how powerful that brother was. How anointed, I mean, he had his demons, but God was a special, special human being. Oh my God, and loved I'm by really, so many. Did you ever have a chance to I, ever interact with him? I I met him once, and we never really you know, did anything or anything like that. We just kind of met in passing. He was very kind. Right. Um, and uh, we we know some of the same people. And I, we, I was just in a circumstance where we right. were in the same room together. Right. You know, just very, very, very kind. I remember my mother, though, when when he kind of first burst on the scene, she was like, there's something very special about him. Right. And she just, I'm like, why? how you like DMX? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, no, he's... She said, and then finally she just said it. She said, he's a preacher. And I said, oh, I get it. Because yes, he is. Right. He he doesn't get it. You know, I just explained to you, he doesn't get it. He doesn't, he hasn't embraced it. He may know, right. but he hasn't, he hasn't said, okay, I'll take that on because that's my life. And and now, you know, my mother's saying that she kind of regrets that he didn't take it on because she thinks it would have saved his life. Right. You know, um, but, but she's always said that about him, man. No, he's a preacher. I yeah. said, well, he, he's a minister. And <laughs> his, his church is just vast. He doesn't have a pulpit. I mean, he's not locked right. in a building. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But I really do. I agree with her, man. I think he was, he was on that path. If he didn't, really kind of paid more attention to it and right you know, definitely i don't know that's just how i feel i yeah. i you know god knows what god is doing i don't exactly and, and the guy he was a special person and, and 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 thank and thank god though that he's not now can rest in and whatever demons he was dealing with you know is yeah. no longer is you know is no longer you know um, I heard a conversation one time. Um, I forget it was maybe it was Harry S. Clark, but it was some very very wise minister years ago <laughs> who said that um, death is 
a beautiful window that you get to exit through. Right. It's like, oh, you're like, you can go out that way. And it's just like, it's there, it, and through that beautiful window is, is perfection, is, is healing, is, right. uh, is, yeah, you know what I mean? I mean, you become perfect at that point. Right. You know, because you, this is all imperfect. This right. is, you know, you yeah. know I mean, it's, it's you taking medicine and trying to prop it up and got to go to the gym and you got to do, look, if it was perfect, you could just go on about your business. You right. know what I mean? But once, once that perfection, that perfect blessed healing comes, you know, and some people call it death and that is fine, you know, if that's how you relate to it. But I just think there's perfection because there's no more suffering. There's no right. more, you know, pain or whatever that was. Right. Is long, no longer. Absolutely. Know. Absolutely. So, I totally so agree. Me, man. I'm, you know, I'm glad, like you, man, I'm just glad there's no more suffering and, right. and you know, all that indecision and anxiety. And then, you know, now you ain't got to deal with that. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, we'll for, miss him here, but yeah, for, you know, for what I for what I heard people say, he had a really rough life too. He had a rough, yeah, hard, tough life. Yeah. So I mean, I think he, was, he lived a hard fifty. He lived a hard fifty years. You know, a hard fifty. Yeah, you know, you know have so. to navigate all of that. Right. I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful that he got to see the degree of success in his life, in his lifetime, right? Uh, that he did, and I think that's incredible. Because right. people from his situation don't get to say that. Pretty much, right, right. You know what I mean? All that foster care and uh, you know early drug abuse and, and prostitution around you and all that kind of thing. They don't get to say, "Man, I scaled the heights. I had four number one albums." What? Right. The only what artist, you I believe, the only rapper, to, I believe, to do that to debut at number one five times. Five times, yeah. yeah. So you know, so what did you do with your fifteen minutes? You know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, you know I, what it is. I think people. He was true. His his art was was real. Was transparent. Like he like yeah. he was a poet, and he and he he that you you felt it right. I always say music is about emotion. Art is about yes. emotion. We're yeah, selling emotion. Yeah, right. If that's so, if that yeah. if that song isn't evoking emotion, some kind of emotion, you know, then. It, Probably not a very good song or piece yeah. of art. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I mean, that's that's one of the standards by which you judge creativity, right? I mean, you know, it's how does it make you feel? Right. You know, or does it make you feel? Right. Right. <laughs> sometimes you nobody know, you say, I don't feel anything. Well, right. Maybe that's like you said, maybe that's not a good piece of art. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, and I mean, you know, and we can debate, you know, today's music versus in today's space versus you know in, in 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 older generations and how music makes you feel timeless music versus music that is just here today gone tomorrow it just you know and that's a whole other conversation that I don't want to yeah. even open you know and that is truly a Pandora's box however yeah um you know I for me it's real simple man I think that every generation has their thing. Yes, I mean, we had ours when I was coming up. I mean, you know, and the people that came before me were like, "What y'all doing? That sucks, it's terrible." Yeah. You know, but right. um, yeah. So I, I don't bash the kids for doing what they do because there'll come a time when what they're doing is gonna be old too, right? You know, right. time changes, man. Everything changes. It's just a shift. 
Exactly. Um, now, do I like, I mean, there's a lot of, there's some of it that I really did. And there's some of it that I really could care less. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I don't, but I don't bash any of them. I, right. you know, did I like WAP? Not particularly, but I get it. And yeah. but it ain't for me. Right. It's not for me. And that's okay. I'm yeah. not on this planet by myself. Right. It's all right. That's you true. don't have to just make music for me. That's you true. Know? Right. And uh, right. And that was a whole big thing about um in fact, you know, you I think you were on the Facebook thread where 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 Miles Anthony, you know, we both know him, Miles mm-hmm. Miles Anthony. And I think you had posted something on that Facebook thread and he talked about how the Grammys are broken. The fact that we having to put the fact that they allowed to have to basically have a, a strip show on the Grammy stage, you know, this past this past Grammy with Cardi with the, the WAP record and and the fact okay, that so so we had Prince with his ass out yeah um we had Madonna tongue kissing Britney Spears <laughs> yeah we had Madonna writhing all over the floor in a wedding dress right, um, right. come on man yeah uh, it's, uh, it's please yeah it's 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 what they doing yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's twenty twenty two. Let the kids be the kids. Yeah. I know you don't like it. If you don't like it, just make sure you keep your daughter off the phone. That's what <laughs> I mean. Right. They, look, yeah, they, and that's kind of what you do. It's a teachable moment if you really want to think about it. Right. It, it's a, it, it is a teachable moment. It's a moment when you sit your kids down and go, okay, what we just saw is a hot mess. <laughs> I don't want that for you. Right. And and because and, and you know and use it as a teachable moment because both of these young ladies that you're watching right now are going to have to deal with the repercussions of what they're doing right now. Right. They're going to get older. They're going to have to people judge them for singing about the whack. Right. <laughs> right. right. It's like a sixty-year-old woman when you get a tattoo on your chest. Right. When you turn 65 and your chest is now at your waistline, right. you're going to look stupid. Right. You know, you're just going to look stupid, but use it as a teachable moment. Don't right. just bash them for what they're doing, you know, so, because that a, a large part of that is the reason why they're doing it. Because my generation, um, I mean, I'm 59, I'll be 60 in January. So right. um, my, my generation has this thing about giving our kids more than we had right because we had to go without so many times and stuff like that so we wanted to make sure our kids had you know those things that we didn't get right and we wanted to give them everything they want and all that kind of stuff what that's not how life really works and our parents knew that they probably could have given us more physically materialistically and all that kind of stuff right but they knew that when you do that, you really kind of spoil a child. You create a monster. Right. And you create a generation of entitled brats. And that is exactly what we did. You sign up for football and you get a trophy. No, you have to win first. Right. <laughs> you have to, first of all, you have to play. And yeah. then you have to win before you get the trophy. Well, it doesn't work like that anymore because now we just give our kids the trophy. It comes with the sign-up fee. Right. So, right. yeah. So now we've raised this generation of entitled brats, and it's our fault. Yeah, it's it true. Is absolutely it's true. I, I, I own it. It's true. And, and, yeah. and we'll get into this in a second. But see, the 
when it comes to the music, when it comes to the music industry, because it's this between the music industry and the music business, two different things, right? So when it comes to the music industry, the barriers to entry to do music now are so low, right? Everybody can do, everybody can make a song, right? Anybody Absolutely. can make a song. So people, we have people that really have no business doing this. We have people that have no business really making records. Let's just call it is what it is. Right, yeah, absolutely. coming from somebody who's okay, let's call it what it is. You've written iconic songs, okay? Just you just have, and I know you, I know you like to, you're very humble, and and, and but I, I'm allowed to say that for you because I just, <laughs> you know, I'm giving you your flowers, you know, you, yeah, you've written iconic records that people to this day, when those songs come on in various situations in clubs and events. They don't, they don't even know they're singing the song that you wrote. You know what I mean? Like when you when you think about that, it's like it's like you saw a song you wrote almost 30, some of the songs almost 30 years old. You know, mm-hmm. they're still impactful today in 2021. Right? Yeah. Their songs are still impactful today that you wrote. When those songs, when those DJs play. Play, I want to be down. The crowd be going crazy still to this day. When they play, baby, when they play, you know, and we're going to get into the, into the story behind a couple of those songs. I really want to hear, hear the story behind the inspiration of some of those songs. But those songs are still iconic today, man. So you come from an era of making records that are timeless records that's a generation of timeless music those music don't get old brandy recorded those songs when she was a teenager mm-hmm. and she's in her 40s now yeah yeah you know, you know what i mean so so i think the, the, now we we've the internet has allowed people who have no business being here to be here and then they don't <laughs> understand what it takes to what it really takes to make it Right? You don't longer need a record company, but what it really takes, the mental aspect of what it really takes, Kipper, to make those songs, right? And, and to do what you have to do, right? And so I just think that because of the, is these kids today, like you said, they haven't, they, they're, all they literally think they have to do, is, oh, I'm going to make a song, I'm going to put it on social, I'm going to put it on Instagram, I'm going to run a bunch of ads. Yeah. And then I'm just, and it's supposed to just, why is it not, why does it, why is it not working? You know, and there's these marketing people that teach that. They teach that, oh, just make great songs and make great content, run ads, and it'll work. I said, stop doing, I don't teach those things to my clients. I said, we have to build a foundation first. And there's so many people that aren't doing that. So, you know, and, and they're not in the business to make iconic songs. Anyway, that's yeah. on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. I, um, you know, at Berkeley, uh, my, my music business professor is uh, John Kellogg. Yes, I watched some of his videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 brilliant. Um, but he talks about the three P's, um, and I'm not going to remember what they all are offhand. <laughs> but I just uh, speaking of where you are in this conversation right now, the first one is powerful product. Yes. You know, it almost doesn't matter what else you're doing out there? I mean, you may have the perfect distribution system hooked up and the, you got your, your marketing machine ready to go and you got everything, you know, just all lined up and about to knock it out the park. Right. And you got a sucky ass record. Yeah. 
that don't work. That right. just, it just doesn't work. You have to have the best product that you can possibly have. So you got to, you know, um, if your little song ain't the best, then hold off until you can hold it and make it better. Right, you know, right. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with taking your time to make it the best that it is, right. the most powerful that it can be. Right. You know, otherwise, you're just wasting your time. I mean, and there's, you know, there's there's a lesson in experience. So if you're just trying to figure it out, like for instance, I did um, I did an EP in 2016. Okay. Um, and what I did was there was a bunch of songs that I had like sitting around um, that I never really gave a a chance to, you know, put them out, see what people think or nothing like that. So I just said, you know, I'm going to just do an EP with some of these songs, kind of remix them, you know, kind of thing and just put it out, let people hear it, vibe with it, whatever. Um, but by doing it, I want to investigate how this works. Okay. I don't know a lot. Of, I didn't at that point know a lot about distro kid. I didn't know, you know, about how all of that stuff was working. Oh, yeah. So I used the EP as a learning tool. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. So that's how, ah, okay. So this is how this works. This is how you get this over here. And then these people I contact for, you know, and, and so yeah, it made a little money, but that wasn't my intent. My intent was to study the game. Right. And figure you come it from out. A different, you come from a different work. era. You come from, a, you, in your head, you came from a record label. And the record label. Yeah, I come from major label activity. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so, and I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about, um, you said you've, you've had such, you've worked with so many, uh, you know, eclectic artists and multi-generational type of musicians like Anita Baker, Teddy Pendergrass, Darius Rucker, across all genres. Like, you know, talk to me about that. Talk to me about, you know, the, the different, those, those, those are all, again, iconic artists, you know, Darius Rucker yeah. and country. You know, uh, you know yes. before you know before that with Hootie and the Blowfish, right? Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. You know what I mean. Um, and so there was a with Darius is interesting because while he's doing the country thing now, which he has found his home, and and I absolutely am happy for him, and I want to write I want to write for him again because he's just a beautiful man, and I just love him. Right. Um, but um, he was when when the when he left Hootie and the Bowfish, he was really just trying to figure out what he wanted to do. He didn't know if it was the country thing yet right. or what. So he was just exploring, um, you know, his, his direction. And so he, he did a soul music uh, project. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And it's on hidden beach um, and okay. it's called back to then. And I wrote the title song for the album. Okay, and and uh, working with um, Dre and Vidal, um, Andre Harris and Vidal Davis. Okay, from uh, Touch of Jazz from uh, Jazzy Jeff's camp. Okay, um, okay. I, know, I I know them from working on Kenny Lattimore's second album. We all did that record together. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's how I worked with Darius that first time. Um, but now you know, of course, like I said, he found his way to country, and that is his home. That right. is his man. He is so great there. You know what I mean? And right. I want to work with him again because I love 
country music. I can't tell you. I've heard. I love I've heard you say that multiple times. I've heard you say oh, how much you love country. <laughs> people don't understand that, but I just—it's the truth. I, I, I do. I, I said it last night on my gig, and everybody was like, "Oh, okay." But I'm like, "No, I love country music, just like Ray Charles loved country music." Yeah, the, um, people always say right, it's a storytelling. They're very. I've heard people say the, the stories in country so feel so transparent. And the stories are the best you can't yeah. write great stories like that in black music right now for some reason it's just right. not, not the thing but um all the stories man i, I there's a, a girl named ashley monroe who i just adore these days she's the best uh, but but she has a song called um uh what is it weed instead of roses okay um buy me weed instead of roses give me whiskey instead of wine um <laughs> So, uh, let's take off uh, something about you put on the leather, I'll put on place. And I mean, it is hilarious. It's so good to uh, let the kids stay at your mother's house and call your no good brother and tell him to bring some weed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is <laughs> it's so good. It's yeah. so good. You know, and you just can't write songs like that in black music right now. It right. just there's no place for it. Right. Um, now, there was a time um, Joe Tex comes to mind, Skinny Legs and all. Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote a song. Uh, uh, who was it? Was it Jimmy Castor had a song? I ain't gonna bump no more with no big fat woman. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, they used to, there was a time when we could do humorous, cool things like that. But, you know, everybody's so serious and woke right now, you know. We can't have fun no more. <laughs> right. But in country, man, I tell you, country music is, yeah, is it is just uh it's it's an awesome thing. And then there is the work ethic of the country songwriter. Okay, talk um, about that. It's 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 a lunch pail mentality. You get up in the morning, you get the kids ready for school, you take somebody drops them off, and you go into the office and you write songs till five o'clock and you clock out. And you go pick up the kids and you go home and spend time with your family and you get up and you do it again the right. next day. It is an occupation. It's what these people do. It's not just, hey, man, what you doing today? Let's get up on something. No, no, no. <laughs> it is a very organized machine. Right. And I just, oh, my brother keeps saying, Kipper, you got to go to Nashville. You just got to go to Nashville. And, and I want to go, man, because I think I have something to offer. Yeah, you um, should. Kipper, at this point, I'm, I'm working on stuff right now. Um, I, I teamed up with uh, one of my dear friends here, Trey Gilbert, and uh, and then one of our buddies, Landon Jordan, a uh, guitar player. And we've been kind of going for it. I'm I'm like, you know what? I I can't let it go unaddressed any longer. Well, I got to get this You know what's funny? Speaking of that, right? Kay Michelle, for a long time, being from Memphis, she loves country. And she always said, like, okay, like, she, she knows sometimes how protective people are of the genre and the fact that she's yeah. had hard times being for people to trust her because she's like, no, I want to do a country album. Like, and you know, her being a black artist is like, like she's had trouble in Nashville for them taking her seriously to do a country record just simply because, sure. yeah. And so, yeah. yeah but she's, and, and then she, she has, a, well, I think, you know, image wise, we have to be cognizant of the fact that um, 
and I'm not saying you know it's right or wrong, but right. um, that the large portion of country music of the country music audience is just not race friendly, right? <laughs> and and that's interesting in that right. when it you know it's almost like white evangelical Christians don't understand that Jesus the Christ is a Palestinian Jewish refugee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which makes him pretty much black, black. and Northern African. Right. Um, yes. They don't want to admit that. They don't want to admit no, that. No. They got the white, white dude to paint the picture of his cousin and told him <laughs> it was Jesus. And yeah. Okay. Well, No. It's the same. It's the same. Wise, he could not. Right. He could not be based off the he geography. Could not have been white. He, he could, could not, not have had blonde hair or blue eyes. None of that is. It's not geographically possible. Right. Right. You know, it's just yeah. not. And and even the scripture says hair of wool, skin of bronze. Right. That's not hair blonde. <laughs> it's just. <blonde. laughs> but anyway, it's truly not that good. So the whole so other conversation. Saying, right. Yeah. 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 But but what I'm saying is, by the same token, with country music, in in its most authentic form, is very much black, um, yes. and people got to understand. Like, okay, so there was a gentleman named A.C. Carter. Okay, um, you know about the Carter family. You you know Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash, right, right. Yeah, well, Johnny Cash was married to a woman named June Carter. Yes, I know June that. Carter, June Carter Cash. Yeah. Well, June Carter's mother was a woman named Mother Maybell. Okay, and, and which is so funny because my grandmother's name is Maybell too, but uh, Mother Maybell's husband, or was it her father? I, I'm not sure where the generation goes, but A.C. Carter, who they call the father of modern country music, of country music, basically, right? Um, because during the early 20s or early 1900s or whatever, when you know, the phonograph record was coming into right. play, but they didn't really have radio yet. And, right. you know, it was like early on in, in the techie situation. Yeah. Right. Um, that he would go around to these, what they call camps. Okay. And hear these songs that the people were singing in these camps. And he would come back and say that he wrote them. Right. And oh. these songs became the basis for country music. Well, he found out about these camps and was toured through these camps by a man named Leslie Riddle. Okay. L Leslie Riddle is black. Leslie Riddle turned A.C. Carter on to how to get these songs and how to come up with these songs and how to, he taught this motherfucker how to be right. country music founding right. father, right. which makes him the, the founder of the, Thing, you know what I mean? Right. So it's uh Yeah, look, I've always said here, but like look, as black people, man, we we pretty much set every genre. Rock and roll. Absolutely. Because that's all blues. Baby. Yeah, our, everything like people don't want to admit it, but we are the trendsetters for everything. Damn so Darrell, I do I, I do a, you saw me do my presentation called uh, The Power of a Great Song. Yeah, which I want uh, yeah. That's yeah. That's what I did at, at uh, Full Sail. Full Sail, right. Um, but I have another presentation that I do called The Arbiters. Okay. And it is all about knowing where you come from and who you come from to know why you have to be responsible 
for where you're going. Right. Okay. And so it has to do with Leslie Riddle founding country music. It has to do with rock and roll being an offshoot uh, of the blues. It has to do with the blues being the basis for every basic American art, musical art form. Right. Um, and then, you know, it talked about how, you know, the journey of, of those people who were the creatives and how hard it was for them to, to maintain a career, to, to travel in this country and to, to navigate a career, right. you know, with integrity right, uh, or, right. or the modicum of it, you know, and all that kind of thing. And then understanding that that's the reason why you get to do what you do today. Right. Because yes. of that. You know, and, and because we set the trend, we are the arbiters. We, what we say is, becomes the cultural standard. Whether it's music, fashion, oh, you name it, right. we set it. Oh man, you know. right. I, you know, because I've, I've been fortunate to be, to have visited six countries all because of music, right? And one thing I always mm -hmm. tell people, when you go to Europe and you're a black person, particularly the dark skin, the more darker you are, Right. Mm -hmm. You get treated so much different over there as a person mm -hmm. of color in these European countries. They treat you like a especially women. They treat the black women like goddesses there because they don't mm -hmm. see that all the time over there. And I just try to tell people like, man, you believe it or not, like as black people, people love our culture. They may not love us or the plight mm -hmm. of what we have to go through. <laughs> but yeah, right, exactly. But but best believe they they are in love with the culture of blackness. Oh, listen. they want the booty injections and the lip <laughs> injections, and they want the skin, the uh, suntan, and the you know, and they they want your hip hop. They banging it louder than we do. And they <laughs> everybody want to be black till the police come. You know, <laughs> right. yep. yeah, real talk. That's, that's that's what it is right there because you know that. You see it. You mm -hmm. see the um, appropriation, and I hate to use that word. No, it's real. We're but, having a real conversation. Let's keep it one hundred. Yeah, but I, but I, but I see that when I see the, you know these white kids sagging, right, and um, and all of that, and see they can do that because because Chad he gonna get a job. He's gonna <laughs> right. be okay. Right. But Jamal, right. But Don Quavo, they. <laughs> right. They're not getting the job. You know, they, don't have, they don't have that same uh, uh, complex complexion connection, right? So right. it doesn't it doesn't work the same for them. You know, it's true. when they get pulled over and they smoking weed in the car, Chad is going home, right? Jamal and Don Quayle is going to jail, right? Yeah, and that's that's the difference, right? right. No, it's you true. I mean? It's true. Look, and we're not saying all, and you're not by any means saying all police officers are. Horrible people. Oh no, sir! I am not. No, yeah, I have. Yeah. I have police officers. I used to have a different philosophy. I will say that moving out of L.A. helped me um, drastically well, change my. You know, because you know what? You know, um, obviously, but, most recently in the news just the other day, LeBron James caught flack because of that. He basically spoke on a police officer and said that he should be held accountable. He actually was saving. A young lady that had a was going to be stabbed by another young lady with a knife. Did you hear about this? I saw the clip. Um, yeah. I saw the clip. I don't know what was happening, but I do know that she had a knife. 
I did see her charge a girl with a knife, but I also noticed she called the police. She called the police herself. Okay. Um, She had a knife. is Is it a deadly weapon? Yes. Was she charging a police officer? No. Does he have a responsibility to protect the citizenry? Yes. However, is it equal deadly force? Did he have to kill that girl? Are you supposed to be trained to make sure that you use the least amount of force in the situation to control the situation? Right. Could you not have taken her legs out? Right. She's a girl. She got a knife. She's not a fucking monster. She's not King Kong. If you (laughs) take her legs out, she's going to fall. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But do you have to kill her? Right. I don't think so. Right. And I, and I think that's where it comes in. I think, and this, this bothers me so much. It, it, I have to stop myself because I don't want to cry. It hurts so bad. Right. We are looked at as less than human. So it's okay. Kill them. Right. You know, fuck them, kill them. And we'll right. deal with the fallout later. Right. You know, and that to me is where the problem is. It's the total disregard for our humanity. Right. That's a, Child. She's 16. She probably looked like she was 25. So what? She was 16. I don't right. care what she looked like. Right. Because she's not white. You don't give a shit right. because you don't you don't recognize her as human and fallible and feminine and a girl and somebody's daughter. Right. You know what I mean? Right. She's, she's somebody's flower. So she's big and aggressive and loud. So that takes away all of that for you. That makes her less human. Right. So it's okay to just shoot her and kill her. Right. No, it's the same thing with George Floyd. He's big and scary to you. So it's okay to kill him. Right. No, we cannot look at this like that. We, we, and if anything, you know, they say sensitivity training, and I, I get the word sensitivity. But it's more like awareness training. You need to know that people are human beings. And I don't give a care, Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. Mm -hmm. They're human, which means that they have parents, they have children, they got siblings and relatives and friends, just like you do. So when you kill somebody, you kill their family. You know what I mean? You're not just killing that person. I know I hear you. It's it, it's it's you know it's it's definitely definitely a problem. You know, it's definitely a yeah, problem. Yeah, like I said, I have friends who are police officers, and we talk about it. I have one friend here who's run for Fulton County Sheriff like five times, and he doesn't win because he makes too much sense. He's talking about constitutional policing, and and, and by constitutional policing, we're talking about everyone having due process under the law. There is no reason why someone who lives in Buckhead gets a pass for something that someone in Bankhead is going to jail for. Right. The same thing. It's, it's right. just it's not equal justice. Right. I agree. I agree. And I mean, so I'm, I am an advocate for changing the name of our justice system to a legal system. There's no justice in this system. Right. Right. And I mean, People, people, people are, and I brought that up because people were taking LeBron and just wanted to basically cancel culture, wanted him to be like, you know, he misinformed and and all this whole thing. And, and you know, I, I, I hate that phrase. 
Um, or cancel culture. Yeah. 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 It's foolish. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's just funny because um, there is a segment of American society that likes to take phrases that they hear other people say and then use them to their benefit. Right. Um, now they're running around. Oh, we don't want to have these conversations with these woke people, you know, and now you're using that word at six years old, um, <laughs> right. you know, because, because you think it's fancy. So those same people now are talking about, Oh, well, it's just cancel culture just because we, you don't want to hear anything we have to say. Well, no, it's not cancel culture, but yes, we don't want to hear anything you have to say. Right. Because, because you're not listening. Right. You, the whole conversation behind racism is really pretty simple. Um, we, as black people, mm -hmm. I'm just speaking for black folks. Yeah, I know we're they, they racist so. against Asians and, and Latinos and all that too, but I'm just talking about us. Right. When, when it comes to us, we didn't start this. Y'all did. So we can't stop it. You have to. Yeah. yeah. You have to stop it. You have to be aware. So what do you have to do? You have to listen. Right. You have to listen to what we're saying, what the problem is, because you, you're not going to understand it. That's part of the problem. Right. <laughs> you right. just continue to tell us what we need, what we want, what our problem is and all of that, that's not, that is never going to work. Right. You have to listen. Right. You know, listen when I tell you that, you know, I have guns drawn on me and I'm not a criminal. And right. the, the, the guy in the uniform is, you know, got a 357 to the back of my head. You don't right. understand that because that's not your experience. Right. But that's my experience. And, 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 and Kimberly, that's why I always say, like, okay, people who date interracially, right? Black versus white. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to, if you're going to date a black man, right? If you're going to date a black man, or if you're going to, uh, if you're a white woman, going to date a black man, or if you're a black woman, you know, oh my God, right? If you're a black, if you're a white woman, going to date a black man, you better be willing to, Get on the front lines and and learn and be willing to understand. I mean, I would think, yeah, I, I would think so. I just, yeah. you know, my my, I have a ba my baby nephew man has a white girlfriend, and I just pray for him. He's a bit oblivious, I think, to what could really happen. Right. Um, I mean, these people are crazy out here. Yeah, you know, and it's unfortunate, but they really are freaking nuts out here. Yeah. And you have to be careful. You have to be fully aware at all times. Yeah. You know, and and you can't you can't be compromised. You can't be going out drinking right. or anything like that because you got to have your head on a swivel with right. these bugs. Man. Right. We live in Georgia. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. This, this oh yeah. And that and not like California would be any better. And, you know, don't get it twisted. California is some racist bullshit too. Right. And right. People think it isn't, but yeah, it is. You know, that's where we saw Rodney King get beat within an inch of his life and four police officers get off for doing Exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to I want to touch a little bit about on your your personal recording career. Um, and you were you were signed as the first second black male singer to Virgin American Records. Huh? So yes. I didn't I didn't I think I remember you saying that. But um, and you released your debut solo project, Ordinary Story, in 1990. Yes. Uh, 
So, and there, like, see, in that era, we had black music departments. Talk to yeah. me about what that meant. Talk to we don't know if I have. Talk to um, me about what it was to be to have a department dedicated to black music. I'm always I always love to have these conversations because we don't see that no more. You know what I mean? Right. So, so right. talk to me about that and and putting out your record. So you you wrote, wrote all these songs, and now. Oh no! This because this is before the brandies. This is you had written for Vanessa Williams at this point, right? Yeah, I had done I had done the first Vanessa album. I did the okay. Rice album um, in in eighty eight, okay. and then um, and then I got my deal in in eighty nine. The record came out in ninety. Um, so did that deal did that deal come from the work you did for Vanessa Williams, or was it or were you actively shopping? Like how did how did that work? No, actually, okay. So I had a a deal with my band, with T's. Um, we had our first record deal in 1983 at RCA. Okay. And then we um, we left RCA and then we got another deal with CBS, uh, with CBS then, Epic Records, which is CB, uh, Sony, BMG now. But, okay. Um, and, um, and so we did our first album for them in 86. We had a, a top 10 record called Firestart. Okay. Um, with, uh, with, with uh, Epic. And then... Then we did another record for Epic in 88. Um, okay. Now that record was produced by uh, James and Tume. And, oh, okay. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I know the name. I'm um, too young to know, but I know who it is. <laughs> uh, y'all know, know Juicy Fruit. And yes. you know, uh, yes. Uh, y'all used to write rhymes. Uh, uh, what, what was Biggie's record? Uh, oh, um, Juicy. Juicy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the same, the same loop for that. But anyway, yes, yeah, so James M. Tume is a brilliant producer, just a brilliant yeah. light in my life. He's he's he, I, I call him, you know, like my godfather. He's like my musical godfather. He's right. So we were working on the album in 88 for Tease, and he was like, Kipper, you need to do your own record. You know you need to do your own record. I'm like, yeah, but you know, these are my guys. And he's like, Yeah, I mean, fuck all that. You need to do, <laughs> you need to do your own record. And so when we got done with the uh, CBS deal, because um, that, that relationship was was gone after Larkin Arnold left. Epic. Yes, I know. Because I know his name. I know his name too. Yeah. Yeah, he signed us. Um, Stephen Shockley from Lakeside, uh, guitar player from Lakeside, got us the deal over at Epic through Larkin Arnold. Okay. And, and so when Larkin left, we we were we were left kind of without a champion at the label, you know, and right. so. It was we were really getting pushed further and further and further back. Okay. And so I just decided I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And so um we left the label and um uh Jeff Foreman uh was over at Virgin. And, okay. Uh, he had just he had signed Layla. Um he signed Layla Hathaway, um, uh, and Gary Taylor was already there. Uh, okay. and um Lenny Kravitz, but Lenny oh. Kravitz was on the rock side. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and then they signed me. And I was like, wow. And so it was really kind of cool because I just told the guys in the band, I'm like, listen, we just do it. The, yeah, so it's my deal. The record's on, you know, me. But it's us, though. We'll still do the record, right? right. We still got the budget, so fuck it. Let's just do it. Right. <laughs> they didn't see it that way. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> so what i did was i just paid them all like double scale whoever was the leader on the session i paid triple 
And I just emptied my budget out to them because I was like, you know what? We're still family and I'm going to show you. I can show you better than I can tell you. Right. Right. But they still didn't get it. The relationship soured and all that kind of stuff. But the record, I thought, at the end of the day was a pretty decent piece of work. And um, USA Today, highly, I mean, the reviews were incredible. Um, From USA Today, from the LA Times, um, it's very, very, very well critically received. Um, But um, now you talk about the Black Music Department. Right. Um, We had uh, Black Music, you know, Black Music Promotion, Black Music Marketing, Black Music Publicity. um, And you expect for these departments to work in concert. Right. So that, you know, we can all get the best desired result. But right. when you have any one of those cogs that doesn't cooperate, okay. it can throw the whole thing off track. Right. You know? So if you got a promotion department that's not working with the NR department who picked the single and well, I didn't like that. I didn't pick it. So fuck it. I ain't been to work it. Right. Well, that's who does that help? Right, right. And, and so I kind of got caught up in some intercompany political stuff. Right. Um, you know, with inter infighting in between right. the departments. Right. Um, you know, when we should all really be trying to prove the point of, yeah, the black music department can float your boat, but instead of doing that, we over here bickering and acting like a bunch of niggas. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> Yeah, so that's what happened to my record. My record got stuck in that, mm. you know. And so, um, so you ultimately—that's one album. You just did the one album for them, and it was that was, was done. One and done. Mm. It was one and done. I had started working on a second record, but at that point, they had already blown up the black music department and just started doing other stuff. You know, Man, interesting, interesting about yeah. you know, because I've always had the <laughs> philosophy of a lot of the quote unquote black artists today who are still working. Are only are able to work because they had the black music department you better know that, that you better created. Know. You look at those labels like uh, Columbia, um, Warner Brothers. Uh, the, you know those those major. Labels. My brother-in-law used to work at Columbia in the black. He was black uh, uh, national director of black music marketing, and I mean they were working. Man, those teams got down. Right, they knew what they were doing when it came to promotion. When it came to marketing. They knew what they were doing and they got out there in the field and made it happen. Right. You know, um, that's the one thing that I can say about the former record industry um, yes. is that the black music departments kicked ass. Right. Um, but at the same time, the labels were taking all the money from the success of the black music, music artists. And, you know, they would give some startup white rock band from <laughs> Seattle Right. A three million dollar deal, you Off know, the and they what you guys did. Right. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and that was so disheartening, you know. And it and it just happened time and time and time again. And I was just like, mm, I don't like this. So I hadn't, yeah, I had made, I haven't made a major label record with my name on it since 1990. Wow, wow, interesting, yep. interesting. So now we go from that. So you had already worked with Vanessa Williams, right? Mm-hmm. Did her stuff, really successful. Well, I, did the right? first, I had done the first record, and then I okay. did my record, and then um, then we did her second record, The Comfort Zone. So, okay, so talk to me about that. And then I want to get into 
young fourteen year old who we not well, they kind of they kind of go together. Okay, <laughs> uh, go ahead. So um, Ed Eckstein, who's another big brother of mine, who's uh, uh, kind of goes down in the annals of history. He was the first president of a record label, or first black president of a major record label um, that wasn't an independent label. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, he was the president at Mercury Records, which was an already established label. Okay. Um, and so Ed, um, uh, but before that, he had started uh, or reactivated the Wing label. Wing Records was an old label under the Mercury. Okay. And um, he signed Vanessa and Tony, Tony, Tony. Um, I forget who else, but I did, I know those two. Um, but anyway, so uh, Ed and I had gone to talk to Vanessa just to talk about the second record. And um, she was doing a movie with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I can never remember the name of the movie. But um, she was like, well, I'm on set, so you guys just come down here. And so we went to the movie set, hung out with her. And I was like, so V, what's, uh, you know, what's going on in your head these days? What's, what's your life like? You know, that's I, whenever I'm writing for anybody, I kind of want to know their, their space. I mean, what are you doing? Where, 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 what do you want to talk about kind of thing? And, another, it's um, called Another You. Is that it? Another yeah. You? Yeah, the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. She said you couldn't remember it. I wanted to look it up. <laughs> sure. yes. Okay. Because I never remember the day that I mean. gotcha. So uh, anyway, uh, she, she was like, I don't know, man. My life is just like really cool right now. I'm like really in this comfort zone kind of thing or whatever. And and then I think Ramon had said it too. He was like, yeah, comfort zone. I like that phrase. That's like really cool. So um, I was like, okay, I'm going to take that back to the lab. <laughs> and uh, I went, got my boy Reggie Stewart. And we came up with the song and I took it back to her and she was like, oh, my God, are you serious? <laughs> so I was like, yeah. So we did it. We um, our engineer uh, on that song, Jerry Brown. Uh, Jerry just got another Grammy this year for. Gosh, I'm but anyway, Jerry, um, he said, hey, man, this little break right here would be like really cool to have like this flute solo kind of thing. And I'm like, that would be dope. He was like, well, I, I know um, Hubert Laws. I was like, you better call him then. So he called Hubert Laws, and Hubert Laws does the flute solo on, on Comfort Zone, uh, legendary uh, jazz flautist. And um, and so, yeah, so that's how that came up. And then, um, of course, since we're working on the album, Ed was like, you know, send us another song, man. We need another song. So um, Reggie and I came up with this, this uh, really kind of housey joint called Freedom Dance. It, um, I wrote the lyrics the day, I th was it the day Nelson Mandela got out of prison? I think that's what it was. But this song ends up becoming this big LGBTQ anthem of freedom. Okay. And I was like, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> and so, um, so there was those two songs that I wrote for the Comfort Zone album, which ended up going double platinum. We did platinum with the right, right stuff album. This album went double platinum. Why? Because he saved the best for last. And, and that song was huge. That saved the best for last joint. Um, and so, and what it did was it kind of set her on a different direction. Okay. Um, you know, then she was doing the Disney thing, Colors of the Wind, and 
you know, Pocahontas. And, um, right. and so, I mean, you know, so it kind of changed direction for her a bit. Now, mind you, at the time, as this record is doing its thing, I started working with Keith Crouch more. I mean, Keith and I, you know, we've been friends forever, but the first production that Keith ever did was on my Ordinary Story record. Okay. Um, and um, so I was like, Keith, um, you know, let's start writing some stuff for Vanessa's next record, because I'm sure with this double platinum record, we're going to have to get back on it right away. Right. You know. And so I went to his house one day and this track was playing. And I was like, snap, dragon, Negro, what is that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, have you written to it already? He was like, no, you want to do it? I'm like, heck yeah. So I got my notebook and started making some notes. And, you know, and I had, um, I want to be down. I just had that. And um, me, it was me, Rasan, Keith, and Kenneth Crouch, a couple of girls, and a bottle of Hennessy. And we was just like, Running around, just were you, were you, were you drinking a Hennessy can? Were you, oh, yeah, you know, man. <laughs> I, was, I was a young, a much younger man, gotcha. but we were really running around singing, you know, the, singing the melody and everything. And then, um, I went in the other room and started writing some verses. I would like to get to know if I could be, you know, and um, then I came back in, kind of put a verse down. We had a verse and a hook, and the music kind of stopped. And we just kind of looked at each other like, uh-oh, this is kind of dope. <laughs> <laughs> and so we just kept going, man. We finished the song and everything. And Keith's manager at the time, Daryl Williams, who okay. was also an AR director at Atlantic. Um, okay. Atlantic subsidiary, East West. Okay. Um, and they had they had just signed Brandy. And um, and so Daryl was like, hey man. Uh, we need to demo this record on Brandy because I think she would really do well or whatever. Or again, I'm thinking Vanessa Williams. We just sold two million records. Right. I ain't thinking about no 14-year-old girl that don't nobody know. <laughs> right. Not on my radar. Right. So um, Keith was like, Kipper, just let her demo the record. It's not going to hurt nothing. I'm like, well, you go demo it. I don't care. Do what you want to do. You know, so he went, demoed the record on Brandy, and he was like, okay, you need to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I I took one listen, and I was like, what are you saying right now? <laughs> was it, the, it was it the final version, or was it still just a, no, it it was wasn't, a demo? It wasn't, it wasn't quite final, but it was, I, I'm sure if we fixed anything, it was very minor. Right. Um, but I was like, oh, my Lord. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So about that, uh, <laughs> you know, so we really have a choice. It was so good. It was so good. And it was okay because Vanessa, you know, she was doing, she had gone on, man. She was doing her thing. Stylistically, she she had matured mm -hmm. to another level, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that was just fine. She never knew this story until last year on my uh, webcast. I told her about this and she said, what? <laughs> so she so she heard that she obviously heard the song and never knew what was supposed to be for her. She never knew it. She never knew it. <laughs> yeah. And um and it's funny because there's another song that was supposed to be for her. I didn't write it, but it was a babyface, uh an LA, LA babyface song called Girlfriend that ended okay. up being Pebbles. Oh, Pebbles. Okay. That was actually supposed to be for Vanessa. 
Interesting. But, but that was before the right stuff, so I'm good with that. That was right. okay. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. That was so you write I want to be down. And then yeah. when does when then how how about baby? So when is baby coming well, to play? What happened was um uh we turned in I want to be down. Sylvia Rome was like, oh hell yeah. And so she she took the song, she said, ask them if they have another one. And um, so Keith came up with the track for Baby and Rasan came up with the hook and I wrote the verses. Mm-hmm. And we turned that in and she was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so ask them if they can do a ballad for her. Um, she needs a ballad. And now mind you, Darrell, at this point, her album was already done. Wow, before, okay. we, before we turned in, I want to be down. Her album was done. Damon Thomas, uh, something for the people. Um, uh, Robin Thicke. Robin Thicke, a, Robin Thicke a, was on that record. A seventeen-year-old, yes. Really? Um, mm-hmm. He was writing. He wrote on that. He sure did. Um, wow! I, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Yeah, Robin Thicke's on that record. Um, who else? But anyway, all those producers, so they had already done this, right? But, you know, you never, nothing's ever finished till it's finished, right? right. So, um, so Sylvia was still looking for songs. And when she heard I Want to Be Down, she took it. She heard Baby, she took it, which meant that somebody else's songs were coming off. Oh, man. Right. Well, I, that ain't my call. So right, anyway. Right, right, right. Um, and then, so Keith gave me a, the track for the ballad. I'm holding the track. And then she was like, well, in the meantime, you know, um, her brother wants to sing and um, they want to do a duet. So can you come up with a song for a duet? Well, while we came up with um, through the good times and the bad times, whether I lose or if I win, yeah. that never changes. And that's you as my best friend. Well, that was supposed to be a duet for Brandy and Ray J. Right. But Ray J was what, 12 at the time? He wasn't really ready. Right. And so it ended up just being Brandy. Um, and then she's still saying, where's my ballad? Where's my ballad? And I'm like, oh, I can't come up with anything. I don't know. <laughs> what does a 14-year-old girl sing about? First of all, okay, so I had to get, I had to really put my, my professor hat on. So first of all, who is her audience? Who is she singing to? Right. Um other 14-year-old girls. Right. Uh, okay, so what is she singing about? In a ballad, what is a 14-year-old girl singing about? Right. Uh, boys, they talk about boys, they talk about makeup and hair and silly shit. Um, but if they talk about boys, what do they talk about? I mean, they're not having sex or nothing, so they just uh, talk about getting their heart broke, I guess. You get your right. heart broken. You know, so what is she, what should she be saying? Um, uh, you get your heart broke, but that's okay. You get over it. Ah, that's it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm only broken hearted. Life's not over. I can start again. While I'm lonely, broken hearted is a hurting thing to get over. Ah, got it. Had right. the hook, and then the verses just came. I'm young, but I'm wise enough 
to know that you don't fall in love overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I I recorded the demo. I sent it to Keith. He was like, "Wow, Kipper." And so we played it for Brandy. And again, she was fourteen, gangly and goofy. Right. And she was like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh, ooh! I love it! I love it! I love it! I love it!" Okay, <laughs> we'll do it tomorrow. She went home and ate that shit. She came back the next day, bro. First of all, she wanted to go to Magic Mountain, I think. Right. Her friends were going to Magic Mountain, and she couldn't go because she had to be in the studio. And she was pissed. So she came in, because I produced the vocal on Broken Heart. She came in the studio, bro, and knocked that bitch out in one (laughs) take. Oh, wow. And was like, now nah, I'm going to Magic Mountain. I'm going. So, I'll deal with you. I'll deal with the rest. Right. You deal with the fallout, bruh. I'm out. And dude, I was sitting there in tears. Her daddy was looking at me cracking up. This he was like, little, I know. Huh? she killed that song. Uh, we did a couple of little fixes. I mean, you know, but by and large, that's a one-take vocal. Wow. So how how was it? I mean, how was it? I heard Sonya was a hard ass. I heard her mom was a hard ass. How was I working with her mom and, and, and dad? Did you get did you did you uh ever get involved with them? Like, Absolutely. As far as, yeah. I heard she was a stickler. Cause see, you know what I loved about her story, same thing with Usher's mom, is that they because back then you there was no internet. You had to and you had to know the business. They quit their jobs to go all the way in with this, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. and it was a different time back then. Like you didn't have all that information available to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, no, I. My relationship with Sonia is interesting. Um, I wanted to be there for them right. because I kind of felt responsible. Right. Um, it's it's my fault that y'all are having all this success. <laughs> right. So, um, I was touring with Babyface. Um, okay. And um, as you know, as a background vocalist on his For the Cooling You tour. Okay. And the first leg of the tour was uh, Tevin Campbell, Boys to Men, and Babyface. Okay. The second leg of the of the tour was Brandy, Boys to Men, and Babyface. Right. And so since Brandy's on tour, I wrote the songs. I'm singing in background. I'm doing whatever the fuck I want to do. So, <laughs> so um, you know, so I, and, but most of the time when we were just like, you know, on downtime, I'm hanging out with Sonia because this is her first road trip. Gotcha. You know, okay. She doesn't know. You're really bad at this You're used to it. You, you, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been out a few times and I, you know, yeah. and plus, you know, and plus again, I just felt responsible. Right. You know, and I'm a guy. She's a like a lady. It's just them two, you know. Yeah. Kind of wanted to be for them, you right? Know? And you know, she would sometimes she would be crying. She'd be like, "Kimber, go outside with me. I need to have a cigarette." My <laughs> Ray J and I'm out here, and I was like, "I know, I know." So you know, we go outside, smoke cigarette or whatever. Just you know, I, I'm there for it. Right. But I gotta tell you, man, kids in this business. First of all, this ain't no business for kids. Right. It's not. 
when people come to me now and say, I got a daughter that's 14, I would love for you to take a look at her. I said, I'll look at her when she's 18. Right. I'm not doing that. Right. You know, um, you know, I just, I don't, I just don't think it's right. You but know, anyway, speak, speak, speak to that, Kipper. Like, like so many, so many parents want to, again, this has to, this is a difference between being in the music business versus being in the music industry. Right. So, yeah. so my response would be, okay, well, I don't mind working with a kid, but we have to, I don't want to involve her in the industry. Let's help her build an audience. And if we, cause if we, cause what Usher's mom did was, uh, when, was it Tia? No, I'm all right. Yeah. So what, I know what Usher's mom did was when they told Usher no, what she went and did, well, she went and got the team that was right for them because yeah. she was like, okay, no, y'all don't believe in my son. Yeah, y'all think he hit proof. So I'm going to go get the team. I'm going to hand select. She, and I watched it. I watched the, I think it was Behind Every Man or something like that. She talked about that. Mm-hmm. And she hand selected every person. Okay, you're going to deal with the film TV. You're going to deal with this. You're going to deal with that. And she hand selected yeah. everybody who she could trust because yes. the labels, she didn't trust the label. No, because they don't have your best interest at heart. Yeah, she and she bought a building. She bought a whole building with everything in-house, studio, everything in-house with us. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't trust them. But what I do is trust us. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I feel you. I just, I think with Sonia, um, like I was about to say, I think the thing that I really most admired, though, is just her being so hands-on. Mm-hmm. There was never any let-up with her. And mm-hmm. you can say what you want to say. Those are her kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to make sure that people are treating them appropriately. They ain't mm-hmm. no funny business. And and you also want to make sure that you're respected. It's right, not like right. I'm the mother manager again. No, it's like when you see me coming. Yes, Mrs. Norwood, what do you need? Right. Uh, what can I do? Yeah. Right. No, you're going to respect me. And I get it. I am not mad at all about any of that part right um i saw why well, i did a, a little side note i think we were in new york one time for a photo shoot with brandy and uh the stylist came and he had racks and racks of clothes and stuff and she brandy sitting there going through the stuff and everything she saw this one little dress and she was like oh mommy this is so cute she said i'll hump that back <laughs> and she was like yeah but it's just i'm not for the uh pictures and she said i heard what you said i said put it back and she took the dress and went to the photographer and said, go tell my mother that you want me to wear this. And that fool took that dress and went over to Sonia and said, hey, Sonia, what do you think about this? And Sonia said, listen, little white man, I'm going to tell you this one time. <laughs> she is 14. Right. And it was a really, really short little geisha mini dress. It was cute as shit, but she was way too young for that. Right. Um, she says she is 14. She'll be 14 till she's 15. And when she's 15, she'll be 15 till she's 16. <laughs> and when she's 18, maybe then she can wear that dress. Today she's 14. I said no. What are we doing here? Right. Wow. Brandy went in there. Yeah, she Sony didn't play, man. And I love that about her. And that's because why Brandy, are, yeah, you think, and that's why Brandy and that's, is and so around. Probably think she's a hard ass and she's not, you know, 
man, those are her kids. Fuck how you feel about it. I don't care. Right, 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 right. You know, she her job, she got one. What say? You got one job. <laughs> she got one job, and that is to protect her children. Right. You know what I mean? And that that's all she was about. So if you got caught up, you got feelings, you she know, because she, she talked to you some kind of way about Brandy or whatever. Just listen, get over yourself. That's her dog. Right. Right. Now, that being said, I don't think that you have to be that way with everybody. Right. Right. And I'll leave that right there. Mm, interesting. I like that. <laughs> I, and when it comes to her father, he's one of my favorite people I've ever met in my entire life. Willie Norwood is one of the best people I've ever met in my life. He is just a wonderful man. And and just he's just a great guy, you know. That's awesome. I've heard nothing but great things about them. And man, look what look what look what you know what I love about their story too. Shout out to obviously Brandon. Shout out to look what Ray J has been able to do. Ray J has been able to I mean yes. build, he for you know, he built his own brand. I said, you gotta look, you gotta respect this man. One he was doing when Ray J put out records. This records always they were always indie. They always did well. Like when well, no, know, not the first one. We did his first. I did his first record. Um, his first okay. record was on East Coast as well. Everything that you want from me. Oh, he I'm okay. Talk to you. Yeah, we. Um, I did his first record. And it was and it was really good. It was really good. I mean, he had a springboard, man. He could have. He could have really done it. But you know, he was a teenager. Ray J yeah. trying to do that life, you know. <laughs> so right, right. but you to your point, man, I am so proud of him. Man, look what he, he's been he, able his, to do, his man. Branding, his his sense of business. I mean, he really knows what he's doing. Yeah, he does. You know. He does. Respect yeah, to really him, man. Him. I've always had so much respect for Ray J. Always so much respect yeah. for what he's been able to do. Because you know, when your sister's when your sister's iconic like that, that's tough. That's yeah, tough to, that's tough to find your place. Find your way. Yeah. Find your way. You know, he figured out the reality TV world. He figured out how to go find his space in that, you know, stuff mm-hmm. with the with the in the tech space now with you know Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh my god. So shout out to shout out to Ray. Did that headphone uh, uh, earbud thing? Raycon, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, man. Right. right. Really a kid. I'm I'm really proud of him. Awesome, awesome. Well, like man, I want to man, I want to touch quickly because we've been here. I want to touch quickly on a couple more things, and I'm gonna let's get out of here. Um, so obviously, you know, you you're you're an educator. You have workshops too, or based around music. You know, based on what you do, as far as like um, well, I got it written down here. Let's see, Soul in the Sanctuary. You know, the power of a great song, which we talked about, mm. as well as the songwriter's life. Like, like what 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 prompted you to create those workshops? Well, I, I just think that uh, they are totally different integers too. Uh, the power right. of a great song as told through the journey of Kipper Jones is my um my explaining my journey and explaining how you can come up with a song that can permeate the consciousness of people to the point where it just lasts forever mm-hmm. and it never goes away. Um, it, it leaves an indelible mark, um, you know, because I, I don't know if you remember at the uh, presentation at Full Sail, 
um, one of the questions was, so what is your idea of a perfect song? Right. I remember right. at the end of the day, and I just said, um, people say I'm the life of the party because I tell a joke or two. Although I might be loud and laugh and hearty, deep inside I'm blue. So take a good look at my face. You'll see my smile seems out of place. If you look closer, it's easy to trace the tracks of my tears. Are you kidding? <laughs> that is perfect melody, perfect lyric, just a, a, an incredible story. Right. You know, it's, 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 just, it's just perfect. And those are the things that, that's like my standard right. of a perfect song. So I'm always trying to shoot for that. Did did it leave a welt? Did it leave a mark like tracks of my tears? Right. You know. Otherwise, like Mr. Gordy said, go buy the sandwich. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> go get the right. sandwich. So right. that's that's the position of a power of a great song. Um, and then when we talk about like a songwriter's life, um, we really get into talking about things like um writer's block. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. having, you know, what 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 are your inspirations? How do you become inspired? Um what makes you even think you want to be a songwriter? I mean, what is that what is that thing? Is it burning in you? Because if it's not burning in you, then maybe that's not what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Because it that fire has to be it it has to burn. It, it, I mean, it's really got to be like, oh, my God, I got to do this. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, go back to school, do something else. No, um, I agree. I agree. You really have to burn with that passion, right. you know. Right. And, and then Soul in the Sanctuary is more of a presentation. It's um, it was uh, performed. Uh, I've only done it twice, but. Uh, uh, it's it is the association between uh, what is it called? It's called the spiritual uh, something like the spiritual value of soul and R&B performed in the house of the Lord um, oh, okay. because it, it is it's these songs like Happy Feelings by Mays um, right that has all this spiritual connotation to it mm -hmm. um, but uh, I like okay so say for instance I, I start the program by singing this song called um Enjoying Jesus. It goes, enjoying Jesus, hallelujah. Oh, enjoying Jesus, hallelujah. I'm feeling mighty happy, feeling mighty fine. I'm enjoying Jesus, hallelujah. And then I go, and we do happy feelings right into it. And it's in church. Yeah. It's it's in the sanctuary actually, and it's just this feeling. It's just an incredible like association, and it shows the association between real, authentic R and B soul music and and gospel music, and yeah. and that is you know, really not any different, you know. Yeah, because um, people have this whole notion of you can't sing R and B and on Saturday nights. And, sing and then go sing gospel Sunday morning. Sunday, right. You know, because PJ Morton caught a lot of flack for that. You know, PJ Morton caught a lot of flack for, okay, your dad is Paul S. Morton, mega church, mega preacher. 
but he doesn't know. He's like, I'm not. He, PJ just did a gospel album like just sure. this year. He didn't want to do it for a long time. Yeah, which is, yeah. you know, he's like, I'm not a guy. I like gospel. I just don't want to sing gospel every day, all day. That's not, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. okay to do something. It's not my everyday thing. Yeah. And, and that's very cool. You got to understand, though, again, and this is why I do another course called The Arbiters. So that gives us some context. Um, PJ Morton is fifth generation of this. Yes. You yes, know, yes, yes, of yes, this yes. problem. Yes, of, yes sacred and the sublime or whatever you want to call it right. um it's uh you know it, it we can we can really date it back to uh um uh precious lord who uh, who's the guy that wrote uh oh his name escapes me it's gonna come back to me in a second okay. but we can even go back to sam cook yeah because somebody came to sam cook's dad and was like you know He's a sinner and he can't be in our church singing. He said, listen, that's his occupation. That ain't got yes. nothing to do with his spirituality, with, exactly. his, with, his, with his salvation. He said, that's his occupation. It has nothing to do with his salvation. Right. And, you know, and so, and, and Aretha's dad was the same way. You know, they're not uh, some kind of heathens or something like that. Right. <laughs> you know, they just found that you can also earn a living doing this. Right. You know, but it's so carnal to the church, you know. Oh my God, they're going right. to hell. I, I, that, always, Kipper, that always bothered me, which is also why I've never really had a desire to work heavily in gospel music. It has never been my thing. Like, I've never. Yeah, I, I get it, bro. Listen, I've never I, had a desire to do it. Like, I'll, 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 I'll promote it out to If that's what you do and that's what I'll help you figure out a plan how to, but I don't actively want, never actively wanted to work in. In gospel music, you know, because yeah, I I just yeah. never had a desire to do it. Like, look, I'm an R and B guy. I like working the secular music. That's just me, you know. Well, for me, for me, it's it's a matter of authenticity. Yes. I think that people that work in the gospel music arena are fake and phony. I by agree. And large. I agree. Yeah, but <laughs> full of shit. And I agree. So I agree. I I cannot operate in an atmosphere of inauthentic people. I, it right. just it doesn't work for me. I, I don't do fake, and right. and and there is nothing but fake in that arena. To I'm me, I'm glad you said it because I was thinking the same thing. Because I've heard nothing. Well, that's, that's, all, you know, that's all. That's all. That's all. I'm, you know, it's funny that I've heard engineers say that audio engineers say where they get the most BS from is the gospel people. Like they who don't want to pay on time because they think they're doing it for God. You just like no, this is business. Right. They always like to use that. Oh, like, like people always say, like they don't like working with people in, in the gospel space because they have a sense of entitlement of how they think that, that you need to do it because it's gospel. Yeah, and, yeah, you know. yeah. It's full of shit, man. That I don't, you know, and then, and then the way that they present themselves is not who they are. Yeah, we them. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, you're horrible. You're you're not who you I said mean, you were. You know, Kipper, even the whole thing with the. The whole the whole story a couple weeks ago with Kirk Franklin cursing out his son. They call he caught so much flack. Look, just because Kirk said gospel, but Kirk is a man. I I wouldn't have had no problem with that because when they called me and said, "Ooh, and you said and that's my son, right? That's my son. You don't feed him, I do, right? 
my problem with my son is my problem with my son. Exactly. Whatever the fuck I said, and I would say it just like that, whatever the fuck I said, I said it to him. Right. He decided to come to you. You want to go talk to him about that? That's fine. But when you're talking to me, understand that I was talking to my son. Right. I don't ask you for any advice in terms of how to raise my kids. Right. The fact the fact that he had to do a whole big apology. It's like this man is a man. That pissed me off. Who are you apologizing to? Right. Who who are you apologizing to and why? Right. Don't do that. Don't apologize for that that's what yeah. pissed me off. And it's, I mean, there's so many things about you know, Kimberly, you know, I grew up Christian, right? So yeah. and I believe in God. God is real. But as I've gotten older in my life, I realize some of this Christianity stuff don't really make a lot of sense. I'm just speaking from right. my perspective. Okay. No, you're absolutely right. Most of it doesn't. Don't most of, a lot it, of it don't, and that's why you see a lot of black men, you know what they, they go into Islam. They're going to sure. They're going or, to uh, the Israel, Hebrew, Hebrew Israelites. Um, yeah, uh, they. I get it. My my whole thing is I believe in the tenets of Jesus the Christ. I I believe the two commandments that He came and left, which were to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right. and the second, which is unto the first, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Those two. Right. Measure all the other ones by these two is right. what Jesus said. Right. Now, if we call ourselves Christians, which is the, the, the term of followers of Jesus, the Christ. His name is not Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Right. His name is Jesus. He was the Christ. Right. So if he is Jesus the Christ and we are Christians, then we are to follow the tenets of Jesus, the Christ. Right. We... I mean, he, I'm sorry, was not a Christian. He was a Jew. Right. Right? Right. Right. Period. End of story. But if we follow him, we are to be called Christians. I don't care what you call it, but I follow the tenets of Jesus the Christ. I don't follow. I'm a a red letter Christian. I go by what's in the red letters in the Bible. (laughs) All All that other stuff. For the next 100 years, <laughs> it don't matter. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, Kip, hey, and don't, don't, you, care and don't you see that a lot of young people now in this generation, you can't fool with the bullshit no more. Like, they, nope. you can't fool. Like, look, this stuff does not make sense. They say 1965. You can't fool them with the tradition. Miss me with all that. Like, you can miss me with all that tradition bull crap. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's where they get into, like, uh, you know, gay bashing and stuff like that. Because that's that's the gospel of tradition. You yeah. do that stuff because your mother did it and your grandmother did it. Yeah. And all of that. You, you're practicing the religion of tradition. Yes. That is not, that ain't God. Yeah. There ain't no God in that. Exactly. Exactly. You just doing stuff because they did it. You, well, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, you gonna go to hell? Did, <laughs> do you even know what you're talking about? Right. Or are you just saying that right. because you heard somebody else say it and it sounds good? You, <laughs> right. you know, because if you knew anything, you wouldn't say that. Yeah. You don't. You don't. You don't say. There's a scripture. Uh, I think it's uh, Timothy two fifteen. It says to study thyself approved. You have to do that for yourself. Yes. You cannot take somebody's word for it. Right. 
You have to study to show yourself approved, not somebody not take somebody's word. Right. So, you know, I, that's, I totally, that's I totally agree, and that's why as I've gotten older, I look at Christianity, I look at religion a whole lot differently, and I wouldn't call myself religious. I don't like religion. I don't, I don't like I don't like church culture. You know that show Greenleaf uh, was on own for a while. I always liked that show because I always felt like it mirrored kind of what really goes on in churches behind the scenes. Be careful with that stuff. I know, I know. My pastor talks about it too. He's <laughs> like, you know, Oprah took every hateful thing that ever happened to her at church and put it in this. Show. <laughs> I was like, Doc. First of all, Oprah don't write that show. So right, 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 right. I thought it was an interesting. I, you know, interesting interpretation of, of what... Yes, I, think, I think more of anything else, I think it's like an amalgamation of a whole lot of shit. Yeah. I mean, you know, something this church, something that church, something this experience, that experience, right. and you put it all together and bah, it's a hot, hot mess. A weekly mm. hot mess. But um, to that, to your point, I, I mean, I get it about, you know, not even wanting to be bothered with that whole ch- church culture thing, but here's the thing, though, and I had this conversation while I was at my buddies in Dallas this weekend. Right. Darrell, I got to tell you, there is absolute benefit in the fellowship. Yes. There is benefit in the fellowship. You, you are edified, you are affirmed, you are uplifted by the fellowshipping of yourselves together. Right. Um, and not just that, you may need a plumber. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's the, there's the immediate resource. Yes, yes. You know, and, and then there is, I'm sick and I need somebody to pray for me. Yes. You know what I mean? And the saints will come. They will gather around you um, if, if you are in that body of believers. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, there is benefit, bruh. There is benefit in the fellowship. Fuck all that church shit. I don't want to be down with that. I get it. I get it. Because they're messy, too. Yeah. Those people yeah. are messy and <laughs> foolish. And you know why? Because they're human. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and people are messy and foolish and all of that. But people also know how to uplift and pray for and help each other, too. And so you have to lean on what they call our better angels. Absolutely. Um, I I, 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 totally feel you. I totally feel you. So we're going to end it off. We're going to end it off. One last thing, you know, you decide after all the success you've had in your career in music, you decided I want to go back and get my degree in Mm -hmm. music. Talk to Mm -hmm. me about what led to you deciding, because most people, you, you know, you've had a very successful career. You know, in a lot of in in a lot of people's eyes, like why would you want to go back and and, and get that education? What, what what was the main driving force with that for you? Well, a couple of things. One, and you can pat yourself on the back for this. Okay, um, <laughs> because me going to full sale really put the nail in the coffin for that one. Okay, um, I was like, okay, I got to do it now. Now I have to. Um, uh, I was trying to figure out how to go to full sale, but shit, I couldn't afford it. So yes, but but um, and I am jo- I am thoroughly enjoying the Berkeley experience. But um, long for a long for the longest man, I've always said that 
I want to end up in the classroom giving back what I've learned over this 40 year journey. Right. Um, you, you, and you, you, you've seen me in action. I mean, I'm, I'm just comfortable in the classroom setting. Yes. Um, and so in order for me to do that though, on a, you know, a regular basis as it right. were, or an attached tenured basis, I would need my degree. Well, I dropped out of school at 19 and, you know, so I had to pick up the baton, man, and get back in the race. And so, like I said, I was able to get in the Berkeley online program and I'm making it work. It's It's been amazing. It's been amazing. I had a class a couple of semesters ago called Applied Mathematics for Musicians. And I knew I, I was just like, I'm probably going to, if I get a D, I'll be happy because I don't, <laughs> don't want to fail it, but, yeah. you know, I know this is gonna kick my ass. Don't you know I got a B in that class? Oh wow. Because it was so interesting and it was good and it kept me it, it kept me uh engaged. Right. You know? And and oh I just loved it. So I mean it's just been a it's, it's a wonderful journey. I'm glad to be doing it. Uh, and when it's over, maybe then I'll go back to full sale as a, <coughs> a, a professor <laughs> and not just uh, you know, man, I think, I, think, I think they would love you. I think, you know, because one thing about Full Sail is that the instructors, um, people there, they, they have real industry experience. Like, you, these are not people who just are full time educators that just teach off theory. Like, these people have been in the field. Um, a lot of them are still actively in the field, you yeah, know, yeah. still actively working, but still, I mean, they like the steady paycheck. They like the steady paycheck. <laughs> they also like the fact that they give back. They have to give back to young people, you know. Sure. You know, some people they just enjoy that. They love. They they love to give back to young people, you know. And mm -hmm. another, another thing is, um, no, just like uh, doing the Berkeley program, I had a class called Rock History, and um, it, interesting. Of course, it starts out with the whole blues, yada yada. Okay, great, got to go to that, and then the right into Elvis Presley. Mm. And, I, and I was like, um, okay, I'm going to go with you on this. And then there was a question the first week of exams. So what is your, what are your thoughts about Elvis in, uh, something or another? And I was like, well, since you asked, <laughs> um, I think the great poet laureate Chuck D said it for me best. Elvis was a hero to most, but he never meant shit to me. <laughs> Fucking racist, right? With Tipple and Plain, motherfuck him and John Wayne. Okay, so, and I put it in my paper. My professor was like, spot on, Kipper. I was like, hey, man, fuck that. I mean, we had right. Lil Richard, Chuck Berry, Louis yeah. Jordan. We was that. rocking and rolling way before Elvis. Fuck exactly. Elvis. He made a living. He made a living off our music. A living off of it. Literally. Oh, not just for living. I mean, he made a fucking created an empire. Yeah, you know, black people, and he was immediately imitating uh, Otis Blackwell, who I yeah. saw on the David Letterman show, and I'm like, wait a minute, this, ah, oh, man, you mean to tell me all this time Elvis been imitating, bruh? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so fuck Elvis, I'm, I'm good. But I... what that did, what that did was this though, Darrell. It led me to. Um, understand that I have to design my own course. Yes. So I am designing a course called The Arbiters, a contemporary course in Black music history. 
I want to take that and course. So, I would like and to so that. that's what my end game is for this whole Berkeley experience. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, man, Kipper, it has been made. You've been here so long. There's other stuff I wanted to touch on, but you know, we've been here so long and you've been oh, so you'll gracious. Have to do your editing. <laughs> you've been so gracious in, in, in giving me your time. So we're gonna have to do a part two at some point. I'll bring you back and and we'll get into some other stuff as well. But I want to thank you, man, so much for being here. Where can people find you that want to connect? You can with you? find me here in East Point, Georgia. No, I'm mean, <laughs> you, you can find me anywhere in the in the uh what is what does Johnny call it in these internets? Uh at um Uncle Kipper. I'm Uncle Kipper at IG, I'm Uncle Kipper at Twitter, Facebook. You can send me an email at Uncle Kipper at Gmail. Um, yeah, so I'm Uncle Kipper in the world. Um, stay tuned for the Black Bettys this summer. Yes. Um, we have the, the new record, uh, You Belong to Me, will be coming out, and I'm so excited about yeah, that. But I didn't, and we didn't get a touch on I want to talk about, you know, the, our, your R&B circus. I want to talk about that. Oh, yeah, man. The band will be kicking back up this summer, too. So that's, yeah. that's if you're ever in the Atlanta area, send old Uncle Kipper a message. Let him know you're going to be here, man. I'll let you know where we are, and you come hang out with us and party with us because it's a good, it's so, a good time. And I'm so glad that you are doing your songs, doing your music, you know, after such an iconic career and great career that, you know, you're still receiving and you still, and the beautiful thing about your songs, your copyrights, they still generate money for you. You know what I mean? Yes. They still yes. generate. We didn't get a chance to get into that portion of, next time we come in, we'll talk more. Well, about really quick, if you like, if you like anybody of your audience, like if you guys watch Pose, um, uh, which has been an absolutely iconic series on FX. Uh, and this is the last season. Um, I Want to Be Down is going to be uh, included in the last season. And I'm just excited about that because I think it's, I think Pose is a historical document. And, okay, nice. and I'm, I'm just excited about being included in it. So, yeah. Yay. Nice. <laughs> nice. No, I'm glad. No, no, oh, this is powerful. You know, the fact of, Songs you wrote almost 30 years ago are still being um, highlighted today and ultimately still generating money for you today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I'm sure, hey, I'm sure, hey, let's be real, man. I'm, I'm sure them royalty checks, when they come in, you know, you know, you come in right at the right time too, right? <laughs> oh, always. It's never, it's, it's never the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, when, it, when, the, when, when your statements come in and, 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 and they, you know, um, well, yeah, because Brandy's 25th anniversary was uh, 2019, and then 2020 we had verses. Yes, and um, and you know, so we we're getting all this. So how does that research. work? So do, do you have to sign off on them allowing to use the song? So tell me to tell me behind the scenes with that. Like like, did they reach out to you? Like for um, for Pose, yes, okay. uh, they have, for Pose because it's a television show. Yeah, that's like that. Yeah. 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 They have to they have to get permission for the license. Um, and then for um, versus, however, nah, they don't ask for any license, but they end up having to pay a royalty anyway. Yeah. But I think it's just a streaming thing. I'm not sure how yeah. that works, man. That technology's so new. Yeah. That. Yeah. They, they, still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. you can't you can't equate you can't equate the 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 mechanicals off of you know a streaming royalty at point zero zero whatever it is you know mm -hmm. then, then you know then with your PR yeah with a network TV show you can't yeah it's not this yeah you can't yeah. do it 
Yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah. They, they're still trying to figure out the whole thing behind the business behind all this stuff, and it's, you know, they're, they're, they're doing their thing, but it, it's still, they still got to figure it out because mm-hmm. the, nobody accounted for the internet. Nobody when they're building the whole structure of the music business, yeah, the revenue no, streams. No. Nobody accounted yeah, for technology good. coming in and the internet and streaming and 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 having to figure mm-hmm. all that stuff out. So, yeah, hey man, it's been yeah. fun, Kipper. It's been fun. Yes, Thank yes. you for having. Thank you for being here, guys. And that has been this episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. And I'm your host, Darrell Peart. Till next time, I'm out of here. Peace.